From Sydney Opera House, welcome to It's a Long Story, a podcast exploring the stories behind the ideas. I'm your host, Vanella Kernabone. My name is Adam Briggs. I'm a writer, rapper, sometimes actor, redneck antagonist. When I grow up, I just want to be useful. Briggs is a rapper, comedian, actor, writer and fearless social critic. A proud Yorta Yorta man from regional Victoria, he took out the Australian Music Prize this year as half of the amazing hip-hop duo AB Original for their debut album Reclaim Australia, as well as appearing in the ABC's groundbreaking supernatural drama Clever Man and becoming a regular on satirical news program The Weekly with Charlie Pickering. Pressure of the Hilltop Hoods describes him as the most self-motivated dude I've ever met. If we can go back to where you grew up in into Shepparton yeah. as well, I was just curious just to kick off. I mean, what is it? What was it like growing up? I used to think it was pretty normal. I used to think I had a pretty standard upbringing, but now when I talk to a lot of different people and I say some things, and they're like, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of like when. X happens when you're a kid with your family and that, and they'll be like, uh, no, that's not normal. <laughs> that didn't happen to me. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's not a regular thing. You know, growing up in Shepparton, it was a horrendously racist town. That's some of my first memories and feelings as a kid. You know, it's stuff that you recognize the symptoms, but you don't know the diagnosis until you're you know, a little bit older and able to put it all together. It's interesting too because wherever we grow up, we have these kinds of love-hate relationship with a place that is essentially our home as well and and you have the opportunity because of your lyrics to be able to kind of diagnose that, as you said, and, and dissect it. So when you listen to, say, Shep Life or something like that, you can hear that love-hate fascination with the stories from that, from that town yeah, too. Yeah, and like a lot of people, when I did Shep Life, a lot of people responded with from who were also from like rural cities. They had similar socioeconomic makeup. And so all these people get kind of, they slip off the sides. Is yeah, that what because happens? like it gets forgotten. The people there don't forget, but, you know, a lot of people who are in that place don't see um, more for themselves. It's hard to see more for yourself sometimes. I grew up there and I probably it probably sounds really horrible, but I had a lot of fun. You make your own fun. I was just doing regular kid stuff, you know, scallywag. I wasn't a bad kid. I was just a, I was just a nuisance. A nuisance. Yeah. I wonder what the definition of a scallywag really is these days. My idea is like scallywag is like someone who causes trouble, but it's pretty innocent. Yeah, not criminal. Yeah. Like no one gets severely hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that, that's why you know, or if they do get hurt, it's kind of funny. You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> so, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Scallywag is like yeah, it's like. Borderline, yeah, but it's also right, it's sort of borderline, but also because you're bored. You know, you're you're in a town that is, as you say, it's not quite a small town, it's not quite a city, so there's not much for young people to do. So no. yeah, you you make your own fun. I remember like you know a lot of my friends and that you know, we used to make, they used to make bike jumps down by the Broken River, and the council would knock them down because they were dangerous. The kids are going to hurt themselves. How did you, as a young MC, in a town like Shepparton? Get noticed. What's that story? That skips a few years. I started, That's what I'm famous for. You just have to skip years. Yeah. yeah. I, that, skips, <laughs> that skips a few years. Like I, I didn't really get, I guess, noticed until I was maybe 18 because then I could go to clubs and play 
profit. You know what I mean? Like I was getting into clubs and stuff when I was younger, but I guess I was honing my skills. And then when I got to Melbourne at some point, it must have been early, you know, the early 2000s, an MC named Reason. We, we did a show with him. He's seen what I was doing and me and him have been friends ever since. And you were his hype man. Yeah. Which, to be honest, some people may know, not know what that means. So how do you hype the hype? It's an apprenticeship. Um, he took me on for three years, chopped me out some money here and there where, where he could and took me around to country, you know, around the country and stuff as well, showed me new places I'd never been. And, you know, he, he was like the first dude who like really believed in what I was doing. It's testament to the relationship because me and him were still mates. So, yeah, that's how that's how it all started. What was the toughest gig, do you remember, when you were playing with the Reason? Because, as you say, it's an apprenticeship, so you're learning. You're literally learning how to use a mic properly for yeah. a crowd, right? It's, it's a big job. There's only one gig that I hated, and it wasn't with him, and I swore I'd never go back. All the gigs with Reason, I can't remember anything but good times. But I was drinking back then, so <laughs> <laughs> everything turned into a good time. <laughs> No, I've, I don't have any like horror stories, and I think when you're starting out, a lot of kids, a lot of kids see where I could be, you know, where I'm at now, and the big crowds. Like, man, I've done the shows with twenty people. I've done the opening festival slot. You know what I mean? They've opened the gate, and people aren't there. <laughs> you're just the music that they walk into, and that's that's tough, uh, isn't it? It's, you know, they're tough gigs, but you learn what kind of artist you are. You just do them, you rock, and you take away, you know, bits and pieces about how to make your show better. And the other thing is you're on, you know, you're on the radar as well at different levels. But the the gig I hated the most was um, I did a show in the snow. I, I don't care about the cold. I'd rather be cold than hot. Something about being stuck on a mountain with a bunch of, like, privileged weirdos. Was doing, it did my head in. I hated it. No one, because like no one's there to see the music. It was just we're off to a bad start. I didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be there. We were just here. It was like some weird formal or something. Like, there's a like weird school thing. It's like oh, you don't want to be here. It was like listen here, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get through this. You know what I mean? Like, and like look, I'm going to be here for half an hour, and then I'm done. Yeah. You know, just, I'm going to do my job. Was, I'm not going to ski. I'm going to go straight back home. Yeah, I'm done. I'm cooked. Put me, in the, put me <laughs> to bed. Because right. it was, yeah, I think yeah, that one, and I was, and I haven't been back to the snow since. <laughs> so you can't ski, obviously? No, nah, I'm not interested in skiing. Me neither, I must have been. No idea. It's just, yeah, I don't yeah. I don't get it. No. Nah. <laughs> I just love to work yeah. as well. Mm. You know, that's what, that's what you like. Cool. It's just not for me. Although the chairlifts look like fun. I'm down with that. You talk about your family and your community and, of course, an identity and, and being a strong, sort of proud Yoda Gorda man mm-hmm. coming from a very long line of storytellers. Seems obvious in some ways, but why was hip-hop a natural progression for you? I think as a kid it was just the appeal. It was made for me. It was like it had swearing and it was dangerous. Like I loved, I loved hip-hop and I loved metal and punk rock. So all this over-the-top stuff. You know, so the, all the first hip hop I loved was like gangster rap, some LA style West West yeah, West yeah, Coast. Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre mm. was and Ice Cube were like the first 
first rappers that I really like. My my, my brother showed me stuff like Public Enemy and LL Cool J, Run DMC, so I knew who they were, but I didn't really find my own connection with something that was like, oh, this is what I like. This is my stuff, and um, I guess it was just the appeal of the it's aesthetics. It's like I like it because it's cool. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say like oh, it was the blackness and all that because. That didn't occur to me until later on. Mm. It was because it was cool. <laughs> I loved it because like, it, it's just like you like what you like. And yeah. then and then ever since that, like I was so annoying to all my cousins. Because <laughs> I was the youngest. All right. All my cousins and all my you know, my brothers and sisters hated me because like I was just a nerd that would like study the tape and study the like I would read every line of the of the liner notes and stuff of a CD and listen to the tapes back to front, you know, nonstop. I guess it was it was it was almost natural, you know what I mean? Like, it was like almost like what what else could I be? <laughs> yeah. Can what's what's if you think LL Cool J or Ice Cube or I don't know Public Enemy? What's that one line that is, if I ask you, say the first rap you can think of? Jeez. <laughs> the first line that comes to my head, I can't say it. <laughs> You can. You can say anything here. I'm getting the, th- I'm getting the thumbs up. Yeah. It's not the ABC. Come on. <laughs> uh, it's, no, it's horrible. <laughs> we'll beep it. <laughs> the, first, the first one that comes to my head is terrible. It's because if you I can- say it, you've got to forgive me. Okay, go for it. Get my dick sucked and my balls licked. <laughs> were you when you're hearing that uh, it would have been pretty I mean it would yeah. have been pretty naughty you know oh, when you're a teenager or yeah oh, that was like the moment when you'd stop the tape whoopsies you like mum's done that mum here Jesus yeah. Christ you know like, but that was Biggie who said that and for something because we thought that was so funny and we still say it to this day you know what I mean it's like it's like it's like anything that would come out of a joke it's like you know, you want to go get some lunch one day, some lunch, what are you going to do? I want to get my dick in my book. <laughs> every time. And every time it cracks up, we're so, we're so dumb. <laughs> but like. But you do, you go back to, how old were you then? Like that's 14 uh, or years No, I would have been 10. Because I'm older than you. Yeah. So I'm like, that's like, yeah. Yeah, I would have been 9 or 10 wow. when I heard that. Yeah, that's naughty. You yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. That's ter- if, if like my nephews had heard that, then I'd be like, oh. Don't you talk like that, young yeah, man? But yeah, but it's different. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I think that's testament to my friendship. If if I can't go places with my mates, I don't like to go. You know what I mean? I hate award shows and I hate anything where I can't bring my mates because I was like, oh, boring. But, yeah, because, like, I guess, you know, the rap stuff that sits in my head is all is all the funny stuff, all those horrible lines that just crack us up. Moving on, you know, again, you know, skipping forward a few years, you, you became friends with the Hilltop Hoods mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the Certified Wise crew as well. How, how did that happen? How did you fall in with those those guys? They're all reasons, mates. It was all his mates and that's how it worked. You just go in and everyone was super cool, like Hoods and um, Simplex from Terra Firma. As it, with everything I do, it, it's rare that I have someone around me who is there just for their occupation. Or well, if I don't see a long-term um, relationship with between us, like I don't want to work with you because I don't want to have to talk to people that I don't want to talk to. 
everyone around me I consider friends or family. So the interesting thing about Hilltop Hoods is that they've gone it they've done their own thing, you know, they've gone on their own path. Like I've been to their studio in Adelaide. It's not in the middle of the city. It's, no, it's, it's out, it's a, it's a house, right? <laughs> it's out in whoop whoop, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of great. And I, I, I mean, is there any kind of anything that you feel an affinity to about that as well? Although they're so massive, you know, they're so huge that there's this being this, we will just do our own thing. Think of those, those guys, they're the most genuine and generous dudes. You know, I was talking to Saf the other day and we are talking about, you know, longevity in careers and stuff like that. Some groups fall, you know, fall off or they lose lose their momentum, but the Hoods kept um, grinding, you know, kept winning. What's your, what's your theory on that? You mentioned the word longevity. I mean, you have all these, and we'll talk about it too, but you have a few hats hats on, is that how you say it? You've got a few things that you do, right, from acting. I wear hats too. You, uh, yeah, <laughs> thank God yes, for yeah, that. Yes, yeah. Sometimes, Sometimes wear, it's hot. Yes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wear hats. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, generally like a baseball cap. But, um, yeah, I mean, when it, when it comes to longevity, though, there's this ARIA Hall of Fame thing that mm-hmm. you refer, and then there's something else as well, which is having a career, doing good, not – being in the way of people, like you said right at the beginning. So what does longevity mean to you? Um, longevity, I look at an artist like Archie Roach, who I can identify with wholeheartedly, and he's always spoken so well about me, you know what I mean? Like he's given me much more than I deserve. <laughs> For me to see a, a black fella still touring and still singing and still telling his stories and still making music at, at his age, you know what I mean? It's, it's so important that he gets the recognition. So many of us die, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean, Blackfellas. So many of us die so early on. And that was like, I know it sounds a bit morbid, but when I did um, The Children Came Back, that was me like giving Archie the flowers while he can still smell them, you know what I mean? That's what that was about. It's like this dude is the blueprint for longevity, you know what I mean? And that's what I learned around um, Children Came Back and Shep Life was the, the the blueprint for longevity, you know, for an artist to, like like us is, is is honesty because you know that never goes out of fashion. Do you think it's morbid to talk about these issues that you've just raised, or is uh, it? It's just a fact of life. It's something you yeah, have to talk I, about. I say Archie you know, is Archie is unusual in the fact that he's he's he has longevity and he's still singing strong. You know, yeah. I, I, I just don't like to jinx him. He's inspiring. He inspires me all the time because now that I'm older. And I can see what he's done and what he continues to do. If I could do what he's doing at his age, it's like, yeah, that's pretty special. Other part of longevity, of course, is wearing the different hats that you talked about before, you know, working with Trials, doing AB original, writing songs. How did you meet Trials, the fun, uh, you know, fun course? Yeah. with reason. I was at like a, a show, you know, I used to get amongst it. I'd be in the pit, you know what I mean, drunk, having fu- too much fun. There's no such thing as too much fun, is there? Yeah, when you do what we're doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, it was at one of their shows. It was raucous, met by accident. But it was a trip because I knew he was black. For me, to see another black fella I was like, aha. Yes, this yeah, could work. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get your number? <laughs> there is an entry. Right. You, know what I mean? you know what I mean? So it was, like, really important. Like, And not only was he black, he was nice and his production was bananas. I think that's just testament to black skills as well. It's like of how many fields that we conquer 
when there's so little of us, you know what I mean? Shout out to us. <laughs> when, when you and Trails get together and, and, and write as AB Original, is mm. it just this, I'm kind of just imagining because when you talk about the release of Reclaim Australia, you know, it was originally meant to be only a three-day or, you know, a weekend yeah, kind of scenario and then it just became, you know, bigger than Ben-Hur or whatever the statement happens to be. Yeah. What happens when you're in the studio and you're working together? <laughs> it was funny. Like he's more forensic with his stuff. I'm more impulsive. What I wrote and recorded that day, and that's it. He, he goes back and refines things and makes it better. Uh, but my job in that situation was to make him stress out and make him as nervous as possible. If he was sitting at the computer and I'm cutting a verse and then I see his shoulders go up, like he got a shiver down the back of his spine, I know that I said the right thing. Right. <laughs> and he's like, are we really saying that? I'm like, yeah, I just said it. <laughs> So don't like don't hold back. We're going to do this. We're not gonna we're not gonna sit there and try and please other people. We're honestly, just gonna get this out there. Honestly, I thought it was career suicide. I thought I was done. Right. I was like, this is the last album I'm ever gonna do. No everyone's gonna be like, these guys are mental. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I thought I thought that was it. Like mm. I thought the public would hate it and we'd just be shunned, but this was the album we needed to make. It's not only the album that you needed to make, I think it's the album that a few people needed to hear too. Yeah. It was like I said one time, it's like there's there was a spot on the shelf where with a dusk mark where this album was meant to be for the kids that were like us, because we never had it. And that's what this was about. It was for the kids that were like us that would have started earlier if only they knew they could. Because we didn't know we could. So it took us way, way longer. You know, and the difference is, is Trials and I didn't give up from when we were kids. So now, you know, if we had this CD when we were kids, we probably would have started way earlier. That's what this album was about. It was that device. You know, it wasn't for anyone but the kids that were like us. Because you were listening to the LA stuff when you were a yeah. kid, but didn't have access to this. Yeah. And I like, imagine so the, the artists that were your that yeah. different type of music, different way of speaking. We love. You know, that's the thing. It's like. We loved it. We identified with it, but it was almost there. But then it's it's not really ours. You know what I mean? So we wanted to make that thing that was our stories. That sounded like the stuff that we love. You know what I mean? So and like now we're here, like we can do it. Reclaim Australia, of course, being the the name of a a right wing group in Australia yeah. that racist and horrendous, really. So. You reclaimed Reclaim Australia as well. I yeah, hear the story funny. behind that's kind of cool. It was originally just going to be self-titled. I clicked on this and I sent I sent it to the to the group email thread of me trials and our, our management. And I said, hey, the trials didn't know at the point, but I said, hey, the title of the album is um is going to be Reclaim Australia now. And T was like, yeah, that's genius. And everyone was like on board. I'm like, yep, cool. I'm like, yeah, that'll ruffle some feathers. <laughs> it was funny because. Um, Michael Honan looks after skinny fish and Gormal and stuff. He was talking to me on the on the phone. And he was like, oh, I've seen this Reclaim Australia stuff. It's so silly. And I was like, yeah. He goes, because I, I clicked on it. I, I thought they'd be, you know, indigenous. Because who else could reclaim Australia, like so naive, bless him. And, <laughs> and that cracked me up so hard. And the beautiful thing is, is when you Google – you guys come up in the first page yeah. now, which is good. Yeah, because yes. we, we had the, you know, award-winning album and they didn't. They got like the rednecks in court. 
which is good. Yes, let's do this. going back a bit to sort of the the development of AB original and then there's all your own music as well and there's Shep Life and all this all these amazing albums that you've released but then Bad Apples the the record label that you you've started as well the the impetus for doing something like that having released music prior to that before starting Bad Apples why did you want to do something that was independent there was a lack of of indigenous voices in rap Um, I'm not saying there was none I'm saying there was a lack so I wanted to be a platform and, you know, I'd earned this, you know, crazy, you know, position where I was able to afford it. I was able to to bring dudes through and, and people recognise, you know, my name with a, some kind of quality control as well. So it's like, you know, if I'm co-signing it, it's nice. Like if, if I put out three Indigenous rappers' albums in the next year, that's way more than what there's been. You, you got to change the landscape and that's how you change it. If I don't change it, who will? Mm-hmm. So I did. When it comes to changing the landscape though, how do you how do you see it um, changing the sound of hip hop, at least in Australia? Because there's lots of disparate bands, but by having one space that is supportive to emerging and established, you know, Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander hip hop artists, this, yeah. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to, to shout it out, I suppose. So what do you see as the, the, the goals, I suppose, for it? The goal is to create self-determination and self-esteem and a pathway that wasn't there when I was coming up. And there's a lot of them for sport, but not much for for music. That's where I decided this is what rap music needs, you know. This is where it needs to go. Like, this is where it's heading. And these stories, you know, haven't been heard before. I tell people stories now from when we were kids and we, we grew up in the same town with some of these people. I was talking to a friend of mine the other night and told her a slew of things that happened with the Rumbelow Football Club and all the racism around country football. And she was like, I had no idea about that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, it's crazy. Hey, it's like we lived in the same town. Our schools were next door to each other basically and we lived – completely separate experiences. She's just never aware of it. Yeah, not her fault. It's a lived experience. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you're now sponsoring or supporting the football netball club. Is that right? Yeah. Bad Apples? Yeah, because I, I, I played as a youth there, you know. I was, as a kid, I played footy. You know, my nieces and nephews play there. Often, like, people look at me going into, um, you know, they see me do the thing at the Youth Justice Centre and always trying to talk to kids who bad kids you know they might have done the wrong thing but at the same time man I've got to reward the kids that are keeping their nose clean and doing good stuff you know they're playing footy every weekend and they're showing up to training and you know it's important to reinforce that they are doing good you got to share it you got to share the attention you know what I mean the kids who need it aren't always in jail yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean you do things like this and I might keep them out of there it's interesting and, and it's lovely to hear about the the, the football club and in, in Shepparton but you know and almost to to see the video that you released recently um, here with Katie Baker that you just yeah. did tonight on on stage which was for the NRL Indigenous round as well yeah. incredible video T- tell me about the, the the making of that the the release of that Fox League come to me about the dude there Carlton um, come to me and was like, look, we know what our demographic is. If you look at the dudes who are playing, 
and you look at all their playlists they put out and, you know, when they do those, you know, the fan player um, Spotify lists or whatever, um, he goes, they're, they're young Islander indigenous boys, you know what I mean? Like, and they don't listen to Tina Turner, you know what I mean? Like, well, they don't listen to, you know, Delta Goodrum. So they like rap music. You know, we wanted to make something, you know, dope. That was the key part for me was the fact that they wanted something that was real because that's what's going to resonate. And I was like, yeah, like, if I'm doing this, I'm not doing some cheese ball shit. You know, I can do the Triumphant song, but I'm not going to do the Super Cheese Ball song because I've got to write it and then I've got to perform it, you know what I mean? And if I have to perform this Cheese Ball song, you know, next. If I'm putting my name to something, I, I look so hard at it first. So we went down in the studio. I wrote it that day. They already had the beat. We had this, like, public enemy kind of flex that we wanted to recreate. I was like, don't. Went to work. And then... um. They took it back to the guys because I, I thought it was just going to be like a bit of a, a bit of a promo ad, you know. So I wrote one verse and a chorus, and they took it back to the guys at the at Fox League, and they loved it, and so they were like, "Can you finish the song?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, it's not was, just a promo. Let's get some more." Yeah, out yeah. Here. They were right. like, "No, let's not do a promo. Let's make a song, mm. a song, song." So the boys, you know, and now went back to work. Next day, knocked out the rest of it. And they were like, oh, I need a uh, female vocal on it. They wanted, wanted something extra. So I was like, oh, let's get Katie Baker. She can, that's my friend. And yeah, knocked it out. You know what I mean? It, it was really simple to make. That's always the best stuff. And it's really easy and simple. The thing is with that song, the big carrot for that for me was the fact that it was for the NRL Indigenous Round and releasing it around then. Because I did the song when Children Came Back um, around NAIDOC week and all the kids loved it. And they finally had a song, you know, because my, my idea was like, I'm going to do this song for NADOC Week. It's not going to be cheese ball. And because NADOC Week is so boring, it's like, you know, sandwiches and flags go up. You know what I mean? I wanted to give something more. Do something. More, more dope, you know what I mean, that the kids could latch onto and be like, this is what NADOC Week's about. This is my song. You know what I mean? Like, this is our song for NADOC Week. I wanted to do the same thing with the NRL song. It's like I wanted the song for them. So they could love it, you know what I mean? Like, this is our song for for NRL. It's like, and it's a protest song too. They don't know, but it is. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Because I say here, you know what I mean? It's like, who else is from here? You yeah. know exactly who's from here. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so like, you're sneaking that in there, yeah. but not really. Like, it's, not it's really. present, but not really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I could have, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of the power of it, isn't it? So, so let's say, like, Children Came Back, incredible song, right? Then this one here as well for the people, like for for the kids, for yeah. children come back, you know, and for and for here as well. What what? How was it received? Like it's a, it's a few like weeks since here was put out. Children came it. back was last year. Yeah, both of those things when I did them, I was just like doing them for that. Like I I make these things for like a certain demographic, a certain group. Like this was my song for the, for the kids. It went nuts. Yeah. And same with here. I was like, this is my song, you know, for the kids. And so they got a dope song and it went nuts. You know mm. what I mean? And there's no formula. Jeez, if I knew that, I'd just, that's all I'd make. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like writing comes easily to you, does it? I'm just um, thinking, like, moving on to, say, black comedy and, and being a writer and doing comedy and, you know, on Charlie Pickery's, Pickering's The Weekly Show as well, writing is kind of inherent and it's funny. Like, you have to do funny stuff. Is it easy for you? Um, yes. <laughs> 
I love Great, it. can you do my job? Because I'm tired. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love writing. I like ideas. I think of the funny stuff. When it's hard, it's super hard. Not often is it super hard. If it's too hard, it's probably not meant to be. I love writing. It's like my outlet, and that's where I live. The humour that you see when you're performing on stage, it's, you know, you're the same guy that is giving us the humour that we see on the television, you know, this personality is is still there. Obviously, they're different types of formats, but that role of humour, and you've talked about activism, the role of song as a protest as well, but humour is this way of kind of filtering through big ideas so that we really listen. What does that mean for you? I feel like it's the best way for me to convey my ideas because that's how I talk and that's how I interact with people. With a lot of the stuff you're talking about with Indigenous issues, they're very tragic and harrowing tales. And if you can't, if you can't laugh about it, <laughs> then, you know, you're going to go mental and shoot something up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it just can get too much. Yeah. Mm. It's like if, if, you, if you can't laugh about it, you're going to cry. The best comedy comes from tragedy. When I'm on stage, it's just, that's like, my personality dialed up to 11. That's Briggs the guy. But after it, I'm super exhausted. I'm pretty reserved and I just want a coconut water and a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Um, What about acting? I know the, you know, your performance in Clever Man was, it was pretty, you know, it's a big role. Yeah. It's a hard role too. I can imagine it'd be pretty exhausting. Yeah, because he was angry all the time. Pretty angry too. So that was exhausting. I wasn't in it a whole lot, but every time I was in it, I was real pissed off. And that was, you know, that was exhausting. That was that was a great opportunity, man. The dude Ryan Griffin who created it, that's one of my good mates. He's the whole reason I was I was there doing that. And um acting acting's cool. Acting's just another hustle. I just do it because I can. I'm not super fond of it. I prefer writing. I didn't want to be in black comedy. I didn't want to act. I just wanted to write. Did you get dragged, pushed into it? Oh, they just said, like, oh, can you do it? <laughs> I was like, just Yeah, mate, I just can, come on. Like, I guess I can do it. But. <laughs> Yeah, but acting was always like, I just do it if I have to. Um, I'm, like, I don't have a passion. You'll never see me doing Shakespeare down the road. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not me. She really not. <laughs> Although I kind of want to see you do Shakespeare now that you've mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> Julius Caesar. Oh, I couldn't do it. So I just, no, it's too much work. I've seen it. <laughs> My cousin Tony, Tony Briggs, he acts. That's his job. You know, you've got to save something. Mm. for everyone else. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know we've got to wrap up soon, but I'm curious about how the process of writing for black comedy or writing, uh, in, you know, for, for comedy essentially, how that's influenced your lyrics as a hip-hop artist. My lyrics were always tongue-in-cheek. There was always comedy and, and jokes in my lyrics. A friend of mine who was also like one of the producers and writers for The Simpsons, he, um, Josh Weinstein, he actually hit me, hit me up on Twitter and that's how we become friends because he could hear the the jokes that no one else was hearing. I was like, ah, oh. you know, my hero hears my jokes. That's great. The <laughs> thing is with writing comedy and writing scripts, there's less rules. I don't have to adhere to as many rules. You know, I can have long pieces of dialogue and dumb things. And with rap, it's more mathematical. It's all about 
how many syllables and what rhymes where for me in that sense, you know what I mean? It's pretty cool that he hit you up on Twitter. Bananas, right? It's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, one of my heroes. You're my favourite ever since. My heroes have never contacted me on Twitter, but, you know, one day I can live and dream. Yeah, you get on Twitter. Yeah, I know I'm on Twitter, but, you know, we'll work on it. Are your heroes it. dead or yeah, something? No, they're still <laughs> – that's, that's really tragic. It could, be, it could be true. No, I mean, Louis Anderson, call me. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it's, you know, talking about that, you're saying this guy could see the humour, um, which means he could see the nuance in, in even a small tweet or something like that. Yeah. And yet you, you're, you're active on Twitter, right? You, you yeah. And you're not going to say – you're not going to be silenced by anyone, if that makes sense. And you put up with a lot. Um, but you're not afraid to also no. say what you think. And I was thinking about something that you said that, you know, to you have to make yourself uncomfortable to make everybody else uncomfortable in order yeah. for us to actually be able to agitate and have change. Yeah. So to unpack what that means for me. It's not an easy thing to be the lightning rod for rednecks. <laughs> you know what I mean? So and I look at that as like if I don't say it, if I don't stand up and say it, who will? It's not about what other people can do. It's like, no, I can do this. I can wear it. I don't care. Because I feel like I come up in rap, which is like a sport of just ripping people to shreds and being ripped to shreds. So I've, you know, got a year's supply of armor on, (laughs) you know what I mean, like myself. So when they say something that surprises me, then you'll know. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, they said something that surprised Briggs and now he's gone mental. But it's like... No one said anything that's ever surprised me. It's always the same lame stuff. I just try to activate the fact that other people, because like when I say these things, other people hit me up and be like, thanks for saying that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying, the other thing is like, I'm not saying other people should because some other people aren't built for it. Other people aren't ready for the backlash. A lot of people learnt that the hard way, that they're not ready to be attacked on the internet. Me, I don't care. My family cares. They're like, oh, look at all these terrible things they're saying about you. I'm like, yeah. Well, if you just don't read them, you'll never know. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just people on the internet. Worry about it when they're in the street. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. It really doesn't bother me one bit because I'm on TV, you know, every other week. I'm on the radio every day. You know what I mean? They're the ones that have to get used to me. I don't have to get used to them. That's a good philosophy. What's next for you? Probably a coconut water and yeah. a sandwich. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Whatever comes next. Something's always happening. Sydney Opera House again? I don't know. Yeah. So let me. Yeah. Be inside. Have you been inside? No. no. Okay, so so you've been outside, so you need to be inside next time. Oh, no, they don't let me in there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. At the back. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Only out the back, not inside. Well, you never know one day. Um, Adam Briggs, it's fantastic to meet you. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. It's a Long Story is recorded at the Sydney Opera House. The season features guests from the Vivid Live program and it's hosted by me, Vanella Kernerbone. Produced and edited by Cara Jensen-McKinnon. Our theme music is by Rishikesh Hirway. The music mix is from Evan Williams and we were recorded by Josh Craig. Mastered by Cullum Jensen-McKinnon and our executive producer is Danielle Harvey. 